All right, all right. Welcome to the Canvas Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk, shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Canvas Ships Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner supporting all services in all domains and America's only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. HII, delivering the advantage. Coming up, with several U.S. destroyers seeing action recently in the Red Sea, retired Navy captain and former cruiser and destroyer commanding officer Dave Snee walks us through the challenges of modern sea combat in confined and constrained waters against known and unknown threats. But first, a look at this week's Naval News. All U.S. military V-22 Osprey tilt rotor aircraft were ordered grounded December 6th after eight U.S. service members were killed November 29 in the crash of U.S. Air Force CV-22 off the coast of Yakushima, Japan. The aircraft was assigned to the 353rd Special Operations Wing. The grounding affects Ospreys operated by the U.S. Navy, Marine Corps, and Air Force. The order also affected the CMV-22B Ospreys operated in the Carrier Onboard Delivery, or COD, role by the Titans of Fleet Logistics Multi-Mission Squadron 30 aboard the carrier USS Carl Vinson, deployed to the Western Pacific. Two C-2A Greyhounds, formerly of Fleet Logistics Support Squadron 30, however, are based in Japan to support the carrier USS Ronald Reagan, which has not yet been fitted to operate Ospreys, and those legacy aircraft are expected to support Carl Vinson as long as the grounding order continues. Fleet Logistics Support Squadron 30 itself was officially decommissioned December 8th, a move associated with the introduction of the Osprey into the COD role, beginning with the Pacific Fleet carriers. The two VRC-30 aircraft in Japan were transferred to Sister Squadron VRC-40, and the remaining three Greyhounds in the squadron were flown back to Norfolk, Virginia to join VRC-40, which will continue flying the C-2 until 2025. A decommissioning ceremony for VRC-30 was held in October at Naval Air Station, North Island, California. In the Red Sea on December 6th, the destroyer USS Mason downed another unmanned aerial vehicle that launched from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. Few additional details were, were provided other than a U.S. Navy statement to USNI News declaring that there was no damage or injury to U.S. equipment or personnel. It was the latest in a series of incidents that began October 19th involving U.S. responses to Houthi-launched missiles or unmanned aircraft in the Red Sea. National Security Council Communications Coordinator John Kirby on December 7th told the press that in response to the threat in the Red Sea and elsewhere, the Departments of State and Defense are leading a coordinated effort to strengthen and expand the 39-member Combined Maritime Forces Partnership. The CMF, based at Manama, Bahrain, and sometimes described as the world's largest maritime security partnership, consists of five combined task forces operating in the Mideast region. Admiral Nikolai Yevmenov, head of the Russian Navy, told an Arctic conference in St. Petersburg December 6th that Russia and the Arctic Sea is carrying out a, quote, full-scale expansion into the continental shelf beyond the borders of the 200-mile exclusive economic zone. As reported in the independent Barents Observer, Yevmenov 
said that Russia's increased naval capacities in the Arctic come as a forced measure following aggressive action from other countries. World attention has long been focused on the Arctic as global warming opens the area for increased navigation and economic exploitation. A U.S. Navy P-8A Poseidon maritime patrol aircraft transited the Taiwan Strait on December 6th, U.S. 7th Fleet announced. It was the fifth P-8 transit of the Strait during 2023, along with at least seven surface transits by U.S. Navy and Coast Guard, Canadian and Australian warships. And on Capitol Hill, House Senate negotiators on December 6th approved an $874 billion 2024 National Defense Authorization Act that includes a billion dollars for amphibious warship LPD-33, currently stalled by the Pentagon. The ship has been at the top of the Marine Corps annual unfunded wish list for two years. The draft bill, which authorizes nearly $33 billion for shipbuilding, also addresses the size of the amphibious and sealift fleets. While Congress is expected to approve the Authorization Act, also known as the Policy Bill, action on the Defense 2024 Appropriations, or Spending Bill, is stalled, with a continuing resolution lasting only into January. And that's a look at just some of this week's naval news. All right. We are moving to the discussion portion of the show. We are very happy to be joined by retired Navy Captain Dave Snee. Uh, Dave is currently the managing partner of 50 Pound Brains, a new guest to the podcast. We're really happy to have him uh, on board with us today. Um, prior to retiring, Dave was the commanding officer of USS Vicksburg. Uh, he commanded USS Hopper. Uh, and finished his time in the Navy as a senior maritime liaison at Central Command. Um, and we've asked Dave to join us this week to kind of help make sense of what we're seeing uh, in the Red Sea. Um, we've talked over the last six or so weeks, uh, really since um, the uh, Hamas attacks in Israel and the the added uh, action that's gone on in the Mediterranean and the Red Sea and, and elsewhere. Um, we've asked Dave to come on board to kind of give us um, an explanation and walk us through um, how, how does all of this action happen uh, when we talk about Houthi rockets or Houthi missiles and un, uncrewed uh, weapons being fired at our ships. And what does all that mean? So Dave, thank you very much first. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, and let, let's start with really um, on the bridge of either a DDG or a cruiser, you're the commanding officer, kind of run us through what the crew would see and how they would know that they're uh, potentially under attack. Um, and then what they would do um, to make the decision to either engage that target, and if they do engage that target, um, how that would go about, or how they would go about doing that. Yeah, thanks, Chris, for having me on the show, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to to participate. Um, you know, it's it's um, you know it's a unique environment over there in uh, in the Fifth Fleet, uh, and uh, you know because we don't have a a peer to peer threat, and so when we're doing maritime operations. Um, much of our the work we're doing is in support of 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 commerce and 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 other you know things. Our biggest threat in that in that area for many many years was piracy, um, and so and that's still obviously a, a, an issue here here of late. Um, but you know to your question, you know when we you know there you've got you know drones and you got missile attacks on on commerce vessels. Um, 
you know, our, our number one priority over there is to, uh, you know, is, is against the direct threat to international uh, uh, commerce and to maritime security. And, and so, um, you know, what you're seeing with the uh, the Kearney and, and Mason, um, they're in the Red Sea and they're patrolling and, and, and providing that that security to to commerce. And uh, so when you have a a drone come over the horizon or a missile come over the horizon, you got to realize that most times those commercial vessels aren't going to see them. You know, they they don't have the radars that we have. And so um, a lot of times we see what's happening. And uh, if a missile is going towards another ship, we could warn them. Um, but chances are the uh, that that ship that's being targeted doesn't see an inbound missile. They have a surface, you know, radar that's that's really tuned to uh, to see other ships. Um, and so uh, I think what you're seeing is uh, some creative. Uh, and the other thing is ROE doesn't support um, the U.S. ships from engaging um, another anything else other than uh, in in self defense, unless there's a supplemental ROE. But to my knowledge, that hasn't been established yet. Um, and so what you see is you you see ships uh, like uh, the DDGs in the Red Sea rendering aid to some of those ships that were were attacked, and then by uh, by just the proximity, um, it it if these drones are flying at a commercial vessel and we happen to be in the way under that path, then we absolutely and and as a captain of a ship, I certainly can interpret that as as a threat to me, and therefore it meets ROE. And, and I can shoot it down. So for the audience, when you say ROE, we're talking rules of engagement. And this yeah. is kind of what governs uh, your your actions, uh, in this case, when you're in uh, the, the Red Sea. Um, you mentioned um, the role that the ships play in identifying these missiles or drones. How quickly are does is the ship able to determine if they're under attack or if it's another vessel that's under attack? How, how does that calculus go either in the head, uh, in the minds of the crew or in the computers? Like what what do what do they see and what what does that process look like? Yeah, I think the first thing that that typically will happen for ships is you'll get some sort of indication and warning from our intelligence uh, community. Um, and our and in, in community or the uh, intelligence infrastructure, um, and if you don't get that, then that's okay. Uh, in, in this regard, you got you know drones fly 100 to 130 knots. Um, they're they're not they're not super fast. Um, they have a decent radar cross section, so we'll be able to see them. Um, and so as they come as they launch. The, it's pretty clear to uh, a ship's crew that that it is a it is probably a a drone. It it doesn't uh, answer to radio calls. Number one, um, it doesn't fly in an established air lane uh, like a commercial airliner would. Um, um, it's not typically it's not registered like what, how we would register flights with the FAA. And so uh, these are out of the ordinary objects that are flying in the sky. And so it's pretty clear to US ships uh, of what they are. And so and so it heightens our attention. We're, we're certainly going to watch them very, very carefully. Um, I wasn't there and, and I haven't talked to the folks um, in the Red Sea right now, but um, I'd imagine we saw those missiles um, 
you know, you know, we saw them launch and we saw them hit those commercial ships. Um, we certainly saw the drones launch um, and uh, and were able to track them as they were uh, flying around the area. Um, so it's it's not hard, um, you know. But there are some there are some challenges in that environment that that will definitely have uh, U.S. ships on edge. So the uh, the environmentals in that area of the world can be quite challenging on certain days where it's very hard to see um, a, an inbound uh, legit missile, like, you know, a uh, anti-ship cruise missile that's coming in that is that is flying several meters above sea level. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that this, this is a cakewalk by any means for the for the uh, the ships there in the Red Sea. It's not a, a, a it's not as challenging as as a high end fight, but um, certainly they're at the ed edge of their seat, and um, it, it's not uh, unthinkable uh, to to consider that um, the Houthis would shoot an anti ship cruise missile, a, a Charlie eight hundred one or eight hundred two, at a ship. Uh, I think they've demonstrated that in the past. That's a much challenging, much more challenging uh, target set than a drone. So I want to just kind of review. I'll ask one more question, then we'll pass this off to to Chris. So you you mentioned, you know, typically these ships are going into theater. They're getting some uh, um, advance warning either from uh, you know Navy intelligence, from DOD, from CIA, maybe that this is that this type of activity is is going on. So they're on heightened alert. They're looking for this. They they see something far out because they have this Aegis. Uh, uh, radar and weapon system. Um, they make the decision, uh, you, you know, they track this. At some point, they determine that either the drone or the missile is a threat, um, and then they decide to do something about it. H how does that work? Kind of walk us through that part uh, of this sequence. Yeah, I think there's clearly an environment where the uh, the Houthis have demonstrated um, that, that, that uh, you know, They've, they've in sense declared war on certain types of shipping and so the the environment is 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 already there that that uh by their actions and their their uh their words that they've declared war um and so if something's flying in a in and that appears to be a drone what we also know about the houthi drones is that they do carry explosives you know and so they are a a, a clear threat or could very possibly be a clear threat, and that's not a risk that any CO uh, is gonna is gonna make. Um, you know, determining whether it it has it is hostile or not. If it if it is a drone that 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 could in fact be carrying a um, an explosive, has already shown hostile intent, or at least the uh, the territory, the Houthi territory in which it was launched from, has already demonstrated hostile and threat. Or hostile intent, then uh, then absolutely, this is this is an easy decision for a CEO uh, of a destroyer that if it's coming at my ship, then then it meets my rules of engagement to to engage and to eliminate the threat for not just me, but for the other ships in the area. Uh, Dave, Chris Cavus here. So I, I'd like to uh, you know, we're we're not breaking any confidences here with the uh, with the events of the past few weeks that have been going on at the, in in, the, in Fifth Fleet, uh, but. There's a there's a history here that's been going on for quite some time. Um, you just mentioned Charlie 802. So C802 missile. This is a 
uh, Chinese-derived uh, uh, anti-ship missiles. It's been around for a while. The Houthis have been operating these for some time, uh, October 2016. The Mason, one of the ships recently involved in all this, um, was also out in the Red Sea, uh, in the Southern Red Sea, just north of the Bubble Mandab, and uh, Houthis fired C-802s at, at them. They launched SM-2 missiles, standard missiles, back at them, um, took them out. Um, there's, but there's, you know, there, there are these different threats, you know, I mean, part, part of the, you know, there, there's the old OODA loop you know, observe and, and, and figure out what you're, what you're, what are you looking at? What's it doing? What's the threat? What's my response? And then do something about it. And all this has to happen in a fairly tight time period because things are moving fast with these, with a lot of these weapons, not the UAVs. UAVs are actually kind of deceptively slow. You know, it looks slow, but all of a sudden it could get really close to you and then, and then, and then, you know, swoop in. Missiles, though, are something different. I don't have a lot of time to figure this stuff out. What kind of missile am I looking at? How far out is it? What's its trajectory? What are my responses? And can you talk us through? So, I mean, you had, you had uh, the USS Hopper, DDG 70, which is a sister ship, Flight One Early Bird Class Destroyer, sister ship of uh, the Kearney. Uh, which has been out there and been in the middle of all this, uh, DG-64. And, uh, of course, Mason is a Flight 2A, um, a little bit more uh, um, more recent, anyway, with a, with a larger helicopter hangar. But, uh, and they have different Aegis baselines, but they have similar weapon systems. And you have, you have standard, standard missiles of various ilks. You have five-inch guns, which can reach out and touch somebody. You have a C-Wiz, close-in weapon system. You have a number of of choices to make here, depending on the nature of the threat. And also, is it time to respond? I mean, this this is complicated stuff. You don't have a lot of time to decide and act. Can you walk us through those scenarios for people who have not been sitting in the middle of a combat information center on a, on a destroyer in the middle of an engagement? Yeah, I, I'm so so briefly, as, as a missile comes inbound, um, our, our de defense in depth uh, you know, would, would say that, you know, at range, when we get a, a uh, you know, a fire control solution on an inbound threat, we'll say, a, you know, a Charlie 801, um, we're going to shoot it as far away as we as, as we can, um, and, and so that we can get as many shots on that weapon, that inbound threat, uh, as we can, so we can eliminate it. And so, uh, we'll walk this in, and so and and then once it gets past our missile range, then then we'll transfer that over to the five-inch gun, and the five-inch gun will engage. Um, you know, depending on the speed of the the inbound threat, we'll get you know one to three um, you know shots at it, uh, and then uh, you'll then it gets transferred over to for for the hopper. We didn't have ESSM. We had the uh, the SeaWiz, and then it would get transferred over to a SeaWiz, which is really close. In fact, the name there, C and SeaWiz, is close in you know weapon system. So um, you're looking to engage this thing uh, inside two miles, and so that's really a last ditch effort to just throw some bullets down range and knock this thing off course before it gets you. And so that that defense in depth is 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 uh, drilled uh, into the the uh, the combat teams. Uh, we train this a lot, and uh, and so when when you're talking about a threat in this area, you know our our first and go to um, weapon system is the SM2, and so um, I think 
maybe where you're getting at is is you know we're we're shooting SM2s, expensive SM2s at at not very expensive drones, um, and certainly that's a conversation that the bigger navy will will need to to make. But but that decision is is that really doesn't go into the calculus of a captain of a ship, other than if you're starting to run low and then you need to conserve your magazine. Um, but these all seem to be one off. We're not in the, in, in, in a, uh, you know, stand up fight for multiple days where I'm, I'm really concerned about, um, you know, running out of missiles, but certainly, you know, resupply would be an issue at this point. I mean, all these things, you know, go into our calculus in, in a, in a shooting war. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Well, it's not a question. It's just, you know, there, there's a lot going on here. And, and this yeah. issue of, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you, just in the last two weeks, um, I've either attended in person or virtually maybe four conferences. And the phrase going Winchester has <laughs> cropped up in every single one of those conferences. And this is not a yeah. normal thing. Going yeah. Winchester, for those of you who may not know, essentially means I'm out of ammo. That's it. We're done. Um, and that is clearly on people's minds and in multiple domains from coming from multiple points of view on this. People are very concerned about this. And this has always been a concern with, with essentially cheap targets, shooting them with golden bullets, if you will. You know, you know the, a missile costs uh, millions and millions of dollars. It takes uh, about three years uh, from beginning to end of a procurement to to get all the parts and then assemble and get up and all up around for a st standard missile. It's not something you can mass produce fast at all. Uh, and there's there's a there's a finite number of them. Everybody's you know people are in the know, terribly concerned about this. And when you're on the scene, so it's, it, you know, it's one thing to be sitting back you know in my nice basement in Bethesda, Maryland, go well. Maybe, you know, you don't have to shoot, use an SM2 on this. Maybe, you know, see what else you can do. How about a, we'll try a five-inch round, see if that works. Uh, ESSM, uh, ESSM missiles. Um, something cheaper than an SM2 or an mm -hmm. SM6, for that matter, which is the even more capable missile. Um, it's easy, easy to sit back here and say that when you're on the scene, when you're in, in CIC, you want to simply nail that threat. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to do. I don't know what's, what it's packing, but I want it gone now. So you use, you got it. You stomped that, that puppy out, but everybody's now really getting more and more worried about this. And, and there are a lot of people think this is a real tactic, tactic that uh, especially with the Houthis, which are you know backed by Iran, China is in, is in this game very much. Um, they're bleeding us. We only have so many SM2 missiles, so, so many SM6 missiles. It's, they're not going to replace them. There's a real worry that, you know, kids, please don't try to waste these things. And it, it's true that, you know, in the history of conflict, um, in the early days of a conflict, people do expend a lot of ordnance, a lot of ammunition uh, very fast because we're not sure what we're looking at. I just want to kill it. As time goes on, people gain more experience. They get more of a handle. They can slow down the pace of events, if you will, intellectually anyway. 
and later on in a conflict you don't have that as much but it it it, it always happens every no it doesn't matter how much how, how much people talk about it warn about it read about it um give examples of it happening in the past it still happens and that's a worry you don't want to waste sm2 missiles expensive sm2 missiles on crappy little uavs um you don't it's a it's a terrible rate of exchange golden bullets uh, and th- I mean, it is, it is a hard thing when you're, when you're on the scene, you're responsible for it. If you screw up, you make the wrong decision while I was trying to go at it for the, you know, lesser, lesser piece of uh, response, lesser response here. And it, and you fail. Well, you know, people die and, uh, yeah, that, 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 that becomes a negative thing. You just talk about, I mean, part, part of the stuff that goes in there, you've been on the bridge, you've been on the, you've been in the CIC. It's been, it's been your ass, right? So there you go. Yeah, you know, I and I think that um, it's certainly, like I said, unless you're uh, close to going Winchester and you and you need to manage your magazine, um, you know, and, and we do that. You know, we we can alter our, uh, you know, the number of weapons that we employ um, in our doctrine. Um, but you know, I, I'd say we may be getting out over our skis a little bit on this. Um, you know, we've shot down six drones and 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 two months. Um, we get a lot of SM2s. Um, now the cost per, you know, I, I hear you that the cost per SM2 severely, uh, you know, outweighs the cost of a drone, but I don't know that it severely outweighs the cost of the effects of the drone. Um, and so if those drones were to take out an, an oil tanker, um, you know, and it clog up, you know, the Suez, for instance, you know, what, you know, that'd be catastrophic, but we saw, you know, what that looked like um, a couple of years back, you know, so I look at it as that, you know, we're trading a cost of a missile for for the effect of the weapon uh, that we're shooting down. Um, you know, the other thing that, uh, you know, I was I was reading my old boss, uh, Admiral Carilla, or General Carilla, uh, you know, when he went to Israel a couple of weeks back, you know, he he said that his, his, he was really focused on um uh, trying to avoid other other parties uh, expanding this conflict with uh, the, that we're currently in, and clearly, uh, Iran has a play here, and their their asymmetric uh, you know forces and organizations are really trying, I think, to 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 bait us into something bigger, um, and so the cost of a couple SM2s to uh, to kind of keep this at bay may maybe make sense. So let, let's let's expand on that just a, just a touch, Dave. So you covered right. down, I think, pretty well on the tactical side of this, the 05 or 06 that's making this decision in the watch team and, you know, detect to engage and uh, in, in what's going through their mind. They clearly are not, uh, unless, you know, in, in extreme circumstances, they're clearly looking to knock these things down as far away as possible. But somebody somewhere is evaluating the cost benefit and the different rings um, was that done, um, at the COCOM level as they're adjusting rules of engagement, or is that something that goes back to the Pentagon? Like where, where does that calculus happen? Yeah, I think, you know, there is a, the, clearly there's a strategic play here that, that I'm not aware of. I've been out of, out of uniform for a year now. Um, but at, at all of those levels, Chris, um, you know, ROE, you know, the next level would be a, a supplemental ROE that comes out to ships that that may grant um, ship captains more latitude uh, than than they currently have. Um, certainly, the um, 
the supply and logistics uh, forces in uh, in Central Command right now are are working diligently to uh, you know these second and third order effects of expanding uh, weapons um, at a much faster rate than than they probably thought. Certainly, are working um, solutions to get uh, new missiles in theater or maybe advance. Uh, deployment schedules for for other ships. That's a little harder to do. Actually, it's a lot harder to do. But you know that you could just swap ships out. You know, I mean, that is a solution. Hard to do though. Um, that 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 has a ripple effect for 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 the readiness. Um, you know, of the fleet. Um, at at the at other levels at the Pentagon, certainly, I'd imagine my good friends in N ninety six in you know in the surface warfare requirement shop are. Uh, are are working really hard at at a solution to kill drones where you're not expending uh, missiles that were designed to shoot um, you know really fast other inbound missiles um, and so a they're they're not a like for like solution so uh, I'm 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 sure they're working this right now and they're talking at it about this at the highest level is what what is the the most effective and and cheapest not cheapest but a cheap but a very effective way to kill drones because they're not going away our adversaries are going to keep building them they're cheap to do um commercial off the shelf and you can just you know put warheads on them um we see that in our, in Ukraine we're learning a lot from Ukraine um and so we've got to adjust from this cold war era you know missile to to something smaller faster and more effective so i'll just to pull on the learning thing and then i'll let uh chris kind of finish it up i mean it it is you know we have learned a ton um in, in ukraine over the last two-ish years um I, I guess i would argue that we're we're also learning a ton right now but maybe so too are our adversaries right so i mean we're we are getting you, you know we did not see, I think, the results from a crew coordination and resiliency standpoint that we had hoped for when Mason and NHTSA went through this in 2016, right? And the Surface Force spent a lot of time um, studying that and COs, both at the 05 and 06 level, learned from that. And by all accounts, um, at least in the open source, we are seeing crews work a lot more diligently. Um, so that's a good thing. And so we're we're going through these detect to engage sequence. We're, we're learning a lot from this, um, hopefully that we'll be able to share with Seven Fleet. But I, I guess so too are our enemies, right? I mean, you, you know, Iran is able to see what this looks like. We're able to see as ships are having to move in and out of theater. So presumably the Chinese are learning. Um, I, I, not really a question, but I would say, is there anything that you would want to respond to in terms of, you know, how to learn from this in a way that you can quickly employ some of those lessons? Yeah, I think we're, we're absolutely doing that and adjusting. Um you know the the surface navy is is just so much more lethal and and better than uh, than even a couple of years ago when I was uh, commanding ships uh, with our witty programs. So uh, and, and you told me to do acronyms or not do acronym soup for you, but uh, our our weapons uh, experts that 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 we've we've taken a, a page out of the aviation uh, you know book there, and we created some real experts in warfare in in several areas. And those those folks are now on ship on all ships and training our crews and adapting and and taking lessons learned in real time and adapting those to our our tactics. Um, and so certainly we're we're learning. And with the uh, you know technology, you know 
our, our boss is a VTC away and our boss's boss's boss is a VTC away. So the, the learning curve is fast and, and transparent. Um, and so that's a good thing for the surface Navy that what we're teaching the adversaries though, I'll tell you is, uh, they ought to be concerned that, that Navy ships, um, are designed to fight and win. And we're showing that, you know, our resolve, the COs aren't taken, these ships aren't taken shot are taken a hit, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. So the, you know, I applaud Mason, uh, you know, years ago when that, 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 uh, Charlie 801 came out over the horizon unprovoked, probably didn't have a whole lot of Intel. I mean, what a great crew to, to be on the ball. I've been in the red sea and I tell you, it's easy to be, to get complacent in in peacetime and, you know, and, and, and not be ready. You know, we saw that, uh, in several, you know, instances over history, you know, but these crews are, are leaning forward, um, in, in a peacetime environment and we're, we're ready to shoot down inbound threats. So kudos to that, that team years ago. And then, and to the group out there now, I mean, they're doing a fantastic job, you know, and, and, and I think the CEOs are, are being creative and, and, uh, using, the ROE limitations that they have to protect those, those shipping, uh, you know, those, those targeted ships, um, you know, so yeah, I think, I think our adversaries ought to understand that, that we're not a force to mess with. Um, and we're showing that. I know, I know several uh, former destroyer skippers who are all uh, enjoying the rise of the flight ones right now. Is it, I mean, Carney's really warming a lot of their, a lot of their hearts. Um, and I said something about uh, acronyms, and I had a brain fart on the SSM. Evolved, evolved. That's right. for a missile. Duh. Um, before we go, you just touched on it. Uh, one more thing, and, we, and we've gone longer than we wanted to, but uh, uh, but this is this is good stuff. Um, you talked about the Red Sea. You've been out operating the Red Sea. Uh, I think the American public has been is, is well aware of what the Persian Gulf is and what's going on there. And the Strait of Hormuz is something that is widely known, widely recognized. The Babel Mandab, which is the strait at the bottom of the Red Sea uh, that opens up into the Gulf of Aden, that's not as widely well known at, at all. Um, it's been a threat area for some time, especially with the uh, all, all heightened by the Houthi war, which has been going on for some years. Uh, there have been interesting conflicts. There's been there have been different uh, times when it appeared like it was really going to flare up, and it didn't. Uh, things things receded. Um, this is the most this is the hottest it's been. Let's put it that way, uh, for the most extended time. So we've um, uh, all tied in with the with the Hamas Israel conflict, uh, but a lot of things were primed and ready and waiting to happen, and people are taking advantage of that. Uh, we have, I think, we have at least three destroyers operating up and down there right now. We have have some, have support uh, ships that are out there. Uh, we have a base at Djibouti um, at the bottom of the Red Sea, just uh, just uh, around the bubble of Uh Interestingly enough, the Chinese have a naval base there too. So we're not doing anything but out of sight of them. They're watching, literally, they're watching and they're counting. Um, and if if we're doing missile resupply over there, that's probably one thing that they're very much looking at um can you just talk about real 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 briefly this this will be the last thing we talk about but um it's a, the red sea is a tough operating environment it's uh, it's tough acoustically there's not a whole lot of maneuvering room it's crowded uh, all the traffic that's going in and out of the suez canal passes through it uh, it's long it's narrow um there's a semi-hostile shore on one side 
there's a lot of unknown territory and country on the other side. And uh, you never really know who you're looking at in there. It's a, it's a kind of a bizarre place. And it's, uh, you were the naval liaison to Central Command for this. Um, can you talk about that, uh, the whole environment that we're talking about here? Yeah, well, first of all, the uh, what people don't realize is just how much sea space we're talking about in the Middle East. Uh, the uh, when you when you add all of you know around the Arabian Peninsula, the waterways in the Red Sea and out around, and it's not just. I think people get fixated on the Persian Gulf and the and the Strait of Hormuz, and there's there's just so much more real estate that need to be patrolled, um, and and you know it's hard to do. You need a lot of ships to do it. That's why we rely so heavily on our partners and the partner nations in the area. Um, the Red Sea is a challenge, you know. Boy, it'd be great if we didn't have to patrol the Red Sea because, from a, a warfare uh, standpoint, as a ship, you uh, you don't have a lot of maneuver space. You're kind of a sitting duck in some regards. Um, if you're not targeted, you're certainly uh, located, um, and their adversaries know you're there. Um, but you got, you know, I'd it's six, seven million barrels a day going going through the Red Sea. I mean, so this is, uh, you know, a strategic importance to, to uh, you know, international commerce, a place we need to be if there's bad actors, um, you know, but, you know, Yemen and the, the Houthi territory uh, that they control is in prime real estate to create havoc for us. Um, they certainly have a, a an advantage in that regard. Um, not a technological advantage or a weapons advantage, but but from a real estate standpoint, they have quite the advantage uh, to control and and possibly shut that down. If that's something Iran wants to do, boys, they certainly could act through this uh, this you know this group to to mine that area to 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 they can you know give them better equipment. I mean, right now they have pretty low tech drones that they're flying around but it, it it's not a stretch to think that they could elevate their game in that area and and cause some real challenges for us all right well dave we, we have we have exceeded our allotted time uh but this has really been great it's been a great discussion folks our guest has been dave snee he's a former surface warfare commander and someone who's given us some really great insight into the nature of missile warfare at sea and thanks for being on the podcast sir you bet anytime now hear this. Now hear this. All right. You know what that means. It's time for Squawk Box. And Mr. Cavus talks about the risk of running out of ammunition. Well, folks, as you heard in the previous discussion, there's been a resurgence in the use of the phrase going Winchester. Not a new phrase, to be sure, but not one you hear every day until now. Now, very quickly, it's a phrase that is popping up in all kinds of forums and discussions. It is clearly on people's minds. Simply put, going Winchester means you're out of ammo. No more bullets, missiles, torpedoes, mines, nothing to shoot at bad guys from your weapons. Not a good state of affairs if you're in a firefight or expecting one. In virtually all conflicts, there's a tendency to use everything one has to counter a threat. If it looks like it could be a danger, smash it, squash it destroy it. Make sure it's neutralized. Don't wait. Act now. Better safe than sorry. That's how you fight. That's how you hopefully stay out of trouble. I'm often reminded of the early days of anti-submarine warfare in World War II, when thousands of newly minted sailors and commanders went to sea to hit back against a German or Japanese submarine threat. 
an awful lot of whales and dolphins and otherwise innocuous floating jetsam were blown up by death charges and gunfire, and it wasn't long before a lot of those ships faced the threat of running out of ammunition long before their escort mission was completed. It took a while to convince and train warfighters to hold fire until a more definitive identification of the threat was achieved in order not to waste ammunition. Still, no matter how much training or experience was gained, the problem persists. It's hard to argue against a commander that wants his threat neutralized. But the history of warfare is also replete with strategies to get the other guy to waste and use up his ammo on decoys, deceptions, and less valuable targets. Sacrificing pawns to capture rooks, bishops, knights, and the queen until nothing's left to defend the king. Getting the other guy to waste high-value expensive bullets on cheap targets is a sound strategy. A lot of observers are seeing something like that in these Red Sea engagements, which could easily be harbingers or conflict elsewhere. Send in a cheap, low-value, unmanned aerial vehicle, get the U.S. Navy to expend high-value, standard-serviced air missiles to shoot them down to make sure any potential UV threat, UAV, sorry, UAV threat is neutralized for good. Not only that, but doctrine often says to shoot two standard SM missiles at any single target for even better odds. Send in enough UAVs, pretty soon, those destroyers, which were full of standard missiles, are nearing Winchester. These are calculations widely known to all warfighters, from the U.S. to the Chinese to Ukraine to the Russians to the Houthis. No secrets here. That UAV might cost the other guy no more than a few hundred thousand dollars. Maybe not even that. But according to the Missile Defense Advocacy Alliance, a standard SM-2 Block 4 missile costs the U.S. taxpayer about $2.1 million apiece. A more effective standard SM-6 missile will run more than twice that, over $4.3 million. Even a cheaper ESSM, Evolved Sea Sparrow missile, is about $1.8 million a copy, and cheaper still RAM rolling airframe missiles are over 900000 close to a million. It's not just an issue of money. It's also one of time. Raytheon, maker of the standard missile, has told me it takes about three years to build an SM-6, starting from ordering the components to delivering an all-up round. With high production rights, rates, it might be possible to get those three years down to maybe two, and that's still a long time. Recent defense budgets have shown modest increases in weapons procurement, but the time to pay for and order a lot of these weapons was yesterday. It is now and it most certainly is not tomorrow. By the time we've gone Winchester, it is too late. Too late indeed, Chris. That does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. The Cavus Ships Podcast, sponsored by HII. HII is the designer and operator of the U.S. Navy's live virtual constructive training enterprise, the largest LVC enterprise in the U.S. Department of Defense. HII delivering the advantage. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Hey.